Prime Minister Narendra Modi makes a splash at the diaspora event in Sydney, but also raises safety concerns over attacks on the Indian community. As Australia and India make big moves beyond what Prime Minister Modi referred to as the seas of cricket and curry to the ease of energy, education and economy, do the Ds of diaspora and democracy actually overshadow bilateral ties? Hello and welcome to Worldview at the Hindu with me, Sohasini Heather. Now, after that full week of travel that took him to Japan and Papua New Guinea, Prime Minister Modi's three-day visit to Sydney in Australia put the spotlight on India-Australia ties. So we're going to do a deep dive into the relationship to look at the high points and the hotspots of trouble. Remember, the visit by PM Modi actually marked exactly one year since Prime Minister Albanese had been sworn in. And if you thought that the relationship between his predecessor, uh, Prime Minister Scott Morrison, was intense, you remember Scott Morrison making those skomosas uh, for Prime Minister Modi, uh, certainly his successor from the Labour Party, Anthony Albanese, has met with Prime Minister Modi six times in the past one year. So at last year's quad, exactly a year ago in Japan, at former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe's funeral, um, also at uh, then in India in March when he came for a bilateral visit uh, and then at the Quad in Japan in Hiroshima this year and then again in Sydney. So given the frequent meetings, the fact that this is the second bilateral in just two months, the announcements were obviously much fewer. Uh, one, of course, that India will set up a consulate in Brisbane while Australia will set up its consulate in Bengaluru now. So two new consulates coming up. They signed the India-Australia Migration and Mobility Partnership Arrangement. This is to regulate the movement of skilled professionals between one country and another, but it's also very importantly to discourage illegal immigration. The agreement is particularly significant as reports say Australian universities are beginning to put admission bans on students from at least six Indian states, including Uttar Pradesh, Gujarat and Punjab, given the large number of visa fraud applications from there. Uh, they also finalized the terms of reference of the India-Australia Hydrogen Task Force. This is to work on green hydrogen projects, electrolyzers, uh, helping decarbonize the atmosphere. Now, apart from these announcements that were made, there are several big pillars to the India-Australia relationship that came up for discu discussion in the bilateral uh, talks. The first is, of course, defense and security. India and Australia are comprehensive strategic partners. Uh, they now have a 2 plus 2 defense and foreign ministers meeting each year. The military is re exercised regularly, especially the navies, because remember, it's the maritime sphere where they have the most in common. The Oz Index exercises, also Malabar, which includes the US and Japan, sometimes other countries as well. A second big pillar is trade between the two countries. That's at about $25 billion right now. But they want to take it to $100 billion, especially if they're able to conclude what's called the Comprehensive Economic Cooperation Agreement, or SICA, uh, that has been negotiated since 2011 and now expected by the end of 2023, although it has missed a few deadlines. They did, however, sign the Early Harvest Economic Cooperation and Trade Agreement, ECTA, last year. That includes cutting tariffs on most goods, fast-tracking farmer approvals, and increasing the preferential tariff lines between them. Third pillar is a new one, renewable energy. India and Australia have actually signed an agreement to cooperate, fund, manufacture renewable technology and parts, particularly for PV or photovoltaic cells. 
At present, both of them depend on China for these. They've also set up a solar task force between them. And then critical minerals, which I'm keeping separately because it's also futuristic. Uh, China, remember, has about, and, and these are just estimates, between 20 to 30, some say 40% of global reserves of the critical minerals, especially needed for things like electric vehicles, like graphite, copper, nickel, cobalt, lithium, rare earth. But it processes up to 80% of the world's production of these minerals. Australia has the second largest reserves, but it lacks processing abilities. This is an area where both India and Australia are trying to work. Uh, fifth, India is the second largest source for international students in Australia. More than 86,000 Indian students now there, according to last year's figures. And with uh, the Indian government's liberalization of its rules for foreign universities to set up, we are seeing Australian colleges wanting to set up campuses in India. I think one has already come, another to follow. There are also about 721,000 Australians of Indian origin. And India has been the largest source of new Australian citizens for the past five years. So it's a growing community. Addressing the community that had gathered at the Sydney Super, Superdome uh, this week, Prime Minister Modi, who was joined there by Prime Minister Albanese, said that the community is the real power behind India-Australia ties. Listen in. Prime Minister Modi is the boss. Bharat Australia ke diplomatic rishton se viksit nahi hua hai. Iskli asli vaja hai. Iski asli taakat hai. Aap Australia mein rehne wale har ek bhartiya. However, just a day later, a discordant note was struck as Prime Minister Modi raised, and this was for the second time publicly, vandalism and targeting of Indian community centers and temples by what are seen as pro-Khalistan groups who sprayed anti-India and anti-Modi slogans on them. Friends, Australia mein mandiron par hone wale hamlo और अलगाववादी तत्वों की गतिविधियों के संबंध में हमने पहले भी बात की थी और आज भी हमने बात की है भारत और ऑस्ट्रेलिया के सौहार्दपूर्ण रिश्तों कोई भी तत्व अपने विचारों या अपने एक्शन से आघात पहुंचाए ये हमें स्वीकार्य नहीं है uh, earlier, I spoke with Lisa Singh. She's a former Australian senator who is the first woman, not just of Indian origin, but South Asian heritage, to be elected to the, uh, to the Australian Parliament. She is now the CEO of the Australia India Institute at the University of Melbourne. And in full disclosure, I have an advisory uh, capacity on the board there. And I began by asking Lisa Singh just how important this visit by Prime Minister Modi was given that there had been five earlier meetings in just the past year? I think it was significant because, of course, Prime Minister Modi was supposed to be visiting for the Quad Leaders meeting. And now that being cancelled, of course, by President Biden uh, not coming because of the, the debt crisis back at home, could have meant that all leaders cancelled. But Prime Minister Modi chose to continue to come, not only to Australia, but also to PNG, for his very first visit there. 
And that really meant that the the bilateral visit uh, had was centre stage. It actually, you know, gave more prominence uh, to Prime Minister Modi's visit to Australia than what it would have been, I would say, if the Quad meeting would have gone ahead. Right. So I, mean, I think that's very significant. And of course, if we look at some of the outcomes that happened from the bilateral visit, then there was some substance to it as well. Yeah, the yeah. opening of the consulates and all the rest of that. Um, given how you've seen the relationship evolve, of course, there was a real low point in 2008 uh, over the uh, the perce- perception that Indian students were being attacked. Um, then you've seen it grow through the civil nuclear deal, through these discussions over trade. Um, but what somehow does not get as much focus is how much uh, Australia and India can do on what Prime Minister Modi called the three E's, education, energy uh, and the economy. Given your own uh, association with education uh, there at the Australia India Institute, where do you think the growth areas lie for this relationship? Well, I think, Sahasini, you're right in terms of firstly just looking back, it is worth reflecting on the fact that this was a relationship that once had a lack of trust, uh, lots of missed opportunities, but now it's in a, in a much stronger position and education is really at the forefront of that. In fact, 16% of all foreign students in Australia are Indians. It's a huge market for Australian universities. We know that India has, of course, a population of some... Uh, nearly half under the age of 25. So I don't see that, uh, that, that relationship going backwards, only going forward. But some of the more significant parts of what has occurred to build a stronger education relationship has been in the mutual recognition of qualifications, a mechanism that was signed during Prime Minister Albanese's visit um, to India in March this year. I think that's really significant. We're seeing a lot more interest now in terms of universities in Australia wanting to set up campuses in India as well, because India has changed its uh, guidelines in that regard, with Deakin University announcing it will be the first ever international campus to set up in India. And I think there's another university in Australia that's going to follow that, that path. But in terms of this visit, I think what's significant uh, of what came out of Prime Minister Modi and Prime Minister Albanese's bilateral talks was the signing of a new migration agreement because that will enable more mobility for students, researchers, academics and also professionals that want to, you know, find that new skilled pathway uh, between either country uh, and, and that will ensure that our education bonds really do have a, a long-term future. Certainly, um, Lisa, you pointed to that migration agreement as one of the highlights. Of course, the big photo op during the visit uh, was the Indian uh, community event in Sydney, uh, which you attended as well. Um, and then there was Prime Minister Modi making a public statement for the second time because he made it when Prime Minister Albanese was in Delhi about his concerns for Indian community centers or Indians being targeted uh, by anti-India or pro-Khalistani groups and others. Uh, as someone of, uh, uh, you know, you were the first uh, elected uh, uh, representative from, in fact, the South Asian uh, community. Uh, how much do you uh, worry or not about the idea that the diaspora and diaspora relations seems to overshadow somehow the India-Australia bilateral relationship? Well, I think if uh, this week is anything to go by, 
the fact that we had some 20,000 members of the diaspora uh, at a stadium to welcome both Prime Ministers Modi and Albanese to, you know, quite quite a energetic uh, crowd, a lot of a lot of uh, energy in that in that stadium that night. Uh, and of course, a repeat of what occurred in 2014 when when Prime Minister Modi came as well really does show the the robustness of the diaspora. That said, of course, we know the diaspora in Australia, just like India, you know, all over, is not some sort of, you know, um, single force. Uh, there are differences amongst the diaspora, and look, that is healthy. That's what makes, uh, you know, democracies, liberal democracies, what they are. And I think expression of views is fine. What's not fine is when those views resort to violence. And I think uh, what we have seen here in Australia is a little bit of that of recent times, but our authorities are there to to sort of crack down on that, again, a part of being a democracy. So I don't see those sorts of minority activities of certain parts of the diaspora overshadowing the broader bilateral relationship at all. I think we're in a whole new phase here where with with this mobility agreement, we're going to have more people-to-people links. That's going to educate both of our uh, peoples about each other's, about each other's differences and our strengths, and that's a good thing. And the other thing is, since Prime Minister Modi's visit in 2014, nine years ago to this to this week, our diaspora in Australia has our Indian diaspora has grown significantly. We're nearly at one million now in terms of Indian diaspora, and they are, you know, they have a lot of aspirations. They're a very high tax-paying professional group. Uh, that really want to contribute to Australian society and, in a sense, carry two hearts. They carry the heart of, of India, their, their homeland, but also their new land, their new home uh, in Australia. And I think that's what we saw on display this week through the visit. Lisa Singh there speaking to us from Brisbane in Australia. Now, historically as well, there have been some downs in the India-Australia relationship. In fact, they weren't very close for the first few decades Uh, of uh, India's history. In 1955, for example, Australia refused to join the Afro-Asian Bandung Conference. It was seen as seeking to curtail India's efforts towards Asian solidarity. And at the time, it was taken quite badly in New Delhi. In 1978, a bombing at the Hilton Hotel in Sydney. It was believed to have been targeting Indian Prime Minister Muraji Desai at the time. He was there for a conference. Uh, by an obscure diaspora group called the Anand Margis. And uh, although the trial did not eventually uh, really end in any kind of conviction, uh, it was a a point of real concern between the two countries. In 1990, India expressed anger over the sale of Australian mirages to Pakistan. In 1998, Australia condemned India's nuclear test, but went one step further, suspended all defense, official ties, withdrew its defense attaché, although it didn't take part in the sanctions. 2009 was a rocky year because although India and Australia signed their strategic partnership agreement that year, that was the year Australia also decided to ban uranium exports to India. Now, eventually this was, uh, was reversed and the two sides did sign a civil nuclear deal in 2014. However, no uranium has yet been exported to India. Trial run was conducted, but we've had no uranium imports into India so far. Also in 2008, 2009, and many of you will remember this, a number of attacks, one of them fatal on Indian students in Melbourne, and this sparked massive outrage uh, in India. 
It also though, led to a number of steps being taken on both sides to improve their ties. In 2019, massive protests against the Indian Citizenship Amendment Act taken out by the diaspora, also protests over the farmer, uh, farmer protests and the agricultural reform here. Uh, and then in the last year, this spate of vandalism targeting community centers, temples, and even uh, a consulate. And that has led to some uh, tension in the relationship. Even so, when asked about what some Australians call, quote, a decline in democracy under Prime Minister Modi, as well as the reaction to those uh, protests, here's what Prime Minister Albanese told a television show during the visit this week. Listen in. It's not up to me to uh, pass a, a, a comment on on uh, some of the internal politics in, in India, which as a democracy has a range yeah. of views, which is a good thing. Uh, but there's no doubt that the economic growth that we've seen in India, the opportunity, the lifting of people out of poverty, the yeah. access to energy that has occurred there. Uh, I went to India backpacking in 1991, a long time ago. Wow. When I went back, I've been back there a few times since. Uh, when I went back there uh, just a, a few years ago before I travelled in March to travel on the, the Delhi Metro to look at the economic growth and the economic advancement that was there is quite extraordinary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So the Australian Prime Minister making it clear internal issues remain internal. What's worldview's take? Now the potential for the India-Australia relationship is clearly boundless precisely because they have very few friction points and many points of common interests, including in the Indo-Pacific, in terms of cooperation on new and renewable energy in the future, and the particular complementarity of Australian investment and Indian skills. However, any attempt, and, and this is true across the world, any attempt to turn the vast diaspora into a political point eventually will be to the detriment of ties between them, as well as to the interests of the community itself. Remember, just as in India, the Indian diaspora does have differences between them. And it is best if it is left to the Australian government to resolve issues involving Australian citizens on Australian soil themselves. Let's get you some reading recommendations. And there aren't that many books uh, written about India and Australia, but I was able to cull together a few. The first, India-Australia Relations in the Asian Century, Perspectives from India and Australia. This is a set of essays by Amitabh Mattu and Suresh Roy. Uh, very interesting, but it's from 2014, so it shows the potential, some of which has now been fulfilled. A uh, book coming out now, Australia's Pivot to India. It's still to release. It's a book by Australian Member of Parliament, Andrew Charlton. He represents Paramatta, where Little India, in fact, is situated. Uh, India and Australia in, in the Indo-Pacific by Tejinder Hundal. I think I've recommended this before. It's a short book, easy to read. Maritime Corridors in the Indo-Pacific, the Geopolitical Implications for India. This is by Subhashish Sarangi. Very interesting look uh, at the maritime sphere. And then there's a book which is quite interesting. I haven't actually been able to get my hands on it, but I believe it is an interesting read called Colonial Cousins, A Surprising History of Connections Between India and Australia by Joyce Westrip and Peggy Holroy. Uh, and it doesn't just look at uh, the recent centuries of migration and that kind of relationship, uh, but it looks at uh, prehistoric ties of Gondwana land when the two countries were believed to have been merged. Uh, another book, this is a must read whether or not it's on India-Australia ties, is called Chip War, The Fight for the World's Most Critical Technology 
but Chris Miller, very easy to understand explainer on uh, the politics of chips. Uh, and then a couple of books by Australians getting that perspective. Rory Medcalf is an author I've recommended before. It's called Contest for the Indo-Pacific, Why China Won't Map the Future. And another of an uh, Australian view of India's foreign policy called Modi and the Reinvention of Indian Foreign Policy by Ian Hall. We certainly hope you enjoy uh, reading all these books. And if you have been watching on YouTube, please do like and subscribe. The buttons are below. And from the team here, thanks for watching. Do join us again.